healthcare. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. Nearly a two-word review just a shit sandwich. I will roll the record up to the last minute. That right there is a lot of Welcome back to the Basement, fellow music lovers. You are now tuned in to yet another exciting adventure with us here on Tony's Glass of the Podcast. I'm your host, Tevin, as usual. We are so happy to have you down here yet again. I uh, hope you've been tuning in all year long, enjoying some of the stuff uh, we've been putting out there. If not, you got uh, there's 340-some episodes you can catch up on. You can do that in a lot of places, but uh, it's a good time. It's been a good time for us this year. Part of the reason uh, it's been such a good time, though, is this series that we're doing called The Sounds of DC. Now, we have uh, our good friend Paul Vaudrey, you heard on this last one, runs a little site called Hometown Sounds. He's doing this every other week. You can get that and get the uh, the freshest, hypest new music coming out of DC. But uh, we're going to be playing a little bit of that today, the fresh and the hype, but also digging back into the history of DC. DC was once and, uh, and maybe should always be known as Chocolate City uh, due to its predominantly African-American population, which has sort of been, uh, well, not sort of, it's been pushed out to the edges, the fringes, uh, the counties and everything, and with that, a lot of the culture has been uh, pushed out of the city as, as we race towards peak gentrification. Uh, but uh, to sort of honor that, uh, especially considering it's Black History Month, I wanted to talk about a little bit of the music uh, that is the indigenous music of this city. Uh, that is makes it so rich, or did make it so rich, uh, and and wanted to do our part, just kind of keep it in the in your mind's eye, and let you know that like uh, it's not all Fugazi here. In fact, it's it's, it's nothing <laughs> Fugazi, uh, not anymore. Uh, and uh, and and maybe we'll return to the the good old days uh, when Gogo is king, and and jazz can be heard on every street corner in on U Street. And around the city, uh, but uh, that might not come for a while, so uh, at least we have the music, and that's what we're going to talk about. Have some very special guests down here to talk about it today, uh, besides uh, Marcus Dowling. He's down here, as always. Sometimes he doesn't ever leave. Uh, Vivian Boussaw is down here. I hope I said her last name right. Uh, you have not heard her on a podcast yet, but she is she's one of those people that reached out and said, hey. Uh, I'd like to do this, and I said, cool, come by and do it, and uh, we put two or three in the can now. Uh, she's a great voice, great advocate for music. And then our good friends, April and Matt, otherwise known as April and Vista. It's a plus, it's an ampersand, who knows, but uh, they are they are two of the raddest kids that we know, and uh, they came, they hung out, met Samuel the cat, and uh, talked about the music that they love. Uh, talked about how the music in the city has changed and uh, and did so because they just put out a single themselves, which we're going to embarrass them by uh, playing it to their face, which we do. So hang out. And then, uh, so it's, it's going to be a bunch of tracks and then uh, a little 15 minute interview or so with Matt and April at the end. Uh, always a great time to hang out with them. The last time they were here was on episode 300. So hopefully it'll be, be less than 40 episodes before they come back. And that's what we're doing today. 
So if you guys are ready, and you're strapped in, and you're ready to learn a little bit about some uh, DC, the history of DC culture, let's head down down to the basement, meet all my friends down there, talk about the sounds of DC, uh, otherwise known as Chocolate City. I can't think of a better word sometimes than right. the vibe, but there's a whole vibe culture. I'm like, uh, uh, yeah, man. yeah. It's like there, there's a vibe aesthetic. That yeah. I'm like, uh. If you look like vibes, I'm not. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> if you look like vibes, you, look like vibes. Vibes. you guys aren't vibey though. I mean, maybe you are. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, April, Matt, welcome back. Oh, man. Hey, we back. What's up? You guys blew up the basement last time. I'm putting no, that on you. <laughs> no, no. Uh, you were here now 40-some-odd episodes ago. Since then, uh, you guys have been hard at work. You got in the studio, and uh, we're going to be playing a track by you guys later on today. Oh, yeah. You just put out your first two singles. Is it, is it going to be an EP or an album? Uh, it's a project. A project? project. Okay. Mm-hmm. We it, Album is a, is a real a weird word for us. Yeah, no, I get it. The EP. Yeah. So project is kind of a, I don't know, we, it's, it's, we're most comfortable just calling it a project. Yeah. No expectations. We um, we wanted you guys to come by today because uh, we're doing this series about sounds of DC, about what the sound, what DC sounds like currently, okay. what it sounds like in the past, and you know, where we're going, trying to leave something out there for people that they can just look at and be like, okay, we got all these things going on. Because that's always the thing you hear. We mm-hmm. got all these things going on. Mm-hmm. But uh, the first episode, uh, you guys know Paul Vodra? No. You should. Mm-hmm. Hometown Sounds. Get in touch. He's a good guy. All right, cool. He loves your shit, too. So. Oh, wait. Thanks. We don't, we haven't, I don't think we've met him personally. Yeah. But definitely know of him, yes. Um, At Hometown Sounds, yes. It, it being Black History Month and us being in what used to be Chocolate City, though, mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to like get there and get into the sort of the roots of what was in DC and uh, and sort of what's left. Mm-hmm. I think you guys yeah. are newer, even though you're not from DC actually, but you're here mm-hmm. now and uh, you're certainly drawn on. Like we're just the track we're going to play from you, Matt. I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about, <laughs> but, but that, and that's sort of the point. Yeah. Like that's sort of the point is that you know these these things go on and they might get ignored by a lot of the culture mm-hmm. and uh but i want to start off with mr uh, mr dowling yes here I and uh have you been over have you gotten over vivian's sick burn <laughs> never, never. <laughs> vivian's cruel <laughs> the cruelest ever yeah it's, it's harsh guys i'll Hopefully let you hear get over it too. <laughs> <laughs> um you sir have been reporting on music in this town for what Eight, ten years? Ten years. Ten years now. Yes, yeah, this, this is year ten. Mm-hmm. Wow. Decades even. I know. Who wow. Knew? Who knew? It's all plug. I know. It's all plug. It's a never, it's a never ending plug. So, it's wonderful. So ten years ago, that's actually when I moved here. Yeah. And I wasn't plugged into any of this at all. But uh, ten years ago, we were already seeing this type of thing fade. So so back in the day, yeah. coming up, what's all this about? Uh, like just the scene? Yeah. In general? Um, Gosh. It was it was weird because like DC was like one of many small cities, smallish cities that was like trying to like figure out indie underground music with no aspiration towards any sort of like mainstream pop scene. Like we had Wale and you, we knew Wale was going 
uh-huh. to do a thing. Mm. And you knew that like thievery corporation were a thing. And but everything else was largely Indian underground. Mm-hmm. So you had like you know, DC, you had Baltimore, you had uh Brooklyn, you know, uh Philadelphia. These are all cities that, you know, like have, you know, like established economies mm-hmm. of, of which music had minimal if anything to do with it. And then kind of like Brooklyn broke out. And then that trickled down to seeing Philly break out. And then that trickled down to seeing Baltimore break out. And then the only thing that was left was DC. Mm-hmm. But DC didn't break out. So it was fascinating because you saw all of this, all these other people from other places coming here and just being awesome. And you saw our locals like, you know, guys like Dave Nada and, you know, like Will Eastman and folks like that, just kind of like creating scene. And you saw like the up and up, like, you know, open mic scene for rappers. And you saw kind of like the vibey R&B thing, like existent. And, you mm-hmm. know, Carolyn Malachi, <laughs> people like that were around, you know, and they were, you know, and everybody's, you know, still like and people are still working. But back then it was like all fresh. Yeah. It was like, ooh, this is fresh, new, exciting work. But nobody had any aspiration or any of this would ever, like, you know, have any sort of mainstream appeal and, and, whatsoever. And correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was building off of, like, what was already here a lot. You know, Chuck Brown was playing on the regular. No, uh, everybody was, still, like, every, it was it was weird because, like, those people were, like, vaunted historical legends. Like, you would go see Chuck play. And, like, I remember, like, one of the first acts I saw play in D.C., like, I was living in Greenbelt. So I didn't really, like, go into the city a lot. I mean, I'm from D.C., but mm-hmm. I was living, like, in the suburbs. So when I would come into D.C., it's like, oh, you go see Chuck Brown. And there was this feeling that you were, like, watching, and no disrespect to Chuck Brown whatsoever. But it's like you're watching, like, this antiquated thing hmm. on stage. And it was like, oh, this is not really relevant to anything. But there wasn't a thing right now for it to be relevant against. But you knew that that was irrelevant. Yeah. But there was no developing relevant thing. Interesting. That was it. So even ten years ago, like it's it's not it's not just been recently. No, been, not at all, no. not at all. Like I mean, more so now. It's fascinating because, like you guys know, you guys have you know major label like credits and all this other craziness mm-hmm. that you guys are doing and whatnot. You know, so like that's a thing. It's happening, and it's fascinating in the sense that like that was impossible. Mm. People didn't know that you could do that, and people would respect it. Like, there was a sense that, like, if you were making this independent underground music, that you were like, this is my scene, this is my culture, I can, I must first protect the culture mm-hmm. of the music that I am making before I even set forth to make the music. Mm-hmm. And it was this weird, like, it was, it's still weird to me, where it's like, I am a protector, I am a keeper of the flame, and it's like, the flame of what? <laughs> like, it's, it, it's, it's a very narrow box, and to get a, have a segue... Into the first song, if you mm-hmm. don't mind. Yeah. Um, song by Gil Scott Heron called Washington, D.C. People don't understand that in the late 70s and early 80s, Donnie Hathaway, who's a Howard University graduate, uh, Roberta Flack, who's a Howard University graduate, Gil Scott Heron, who was just dope, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they all lived within 15 minutes of each other between D.C. and Northern Virginia. Yeah. So, like, Gil Scott Heron, who's one of the greatest jazz fusion artists that ever lived, lived in Logan Circle in a giant three-story house that you can see if you take the historic history tour of mm-hmm. Washington, D.C. I don't know the website or else I'd give it a cheap plug. <laughs> but you can... You we'll, we'll can, put it in. Just walk around? Right, yeah, you can... And mm-hmm. you can it's, on, and it's in a tour. And it's part of the tour. 
And they're like, yeah, Gil Scott Heron lived in this big giant house because he was making money. So crazy. Roberta Flack lived in Arlington. Crazy. Making money. Donnie Hathaway lived like right off of U Street, making crazy. money. Like everybody was around. And DC at that time is still very much like the federal city. Like we still, mm-hmm. we, we've just gotten a mayor. This is like Walter Washington's like first or second term. Like we're, we're starting to develop. Like Marion Barry is like growing as a politician as a superhero right as the, as <laughs> marion barry a superhero for life yeah it's the man so I mean, and the thing is like you still have this weird like thing where dc is a sleepy southern town and poor people are poor and black people are very black and poor black people are very poor and very black and it's it's frustrating in that sense where you're like okay like there's there's a greater thing that should be expected because in other american you know american cities it's happening Sure. So, like, in Atlanta, Maynard Jackson is the mayor. It's happening. Like, in, you know, in Cleveland, you have, you know, Mayor Stokes. You have Detroit. You have all these cities where, like, black people are, like, doing it. And in D.C., it's like, wait, there's this, like, largely, like, you know, blue-collar workforce of people who are, like, trying to get to middle class and trying to aspire to get up. And you have people like Gil, who I can imagine lived here because it's it's all black and it's also relatively inexpensive at that point to like live in a three-story house in the middle of the city mm-hmm. you could do that and it's a good travel hub because you can go to new york and you can go wherever else you need and, to go. and i mean if you look now around the city like especially like h street or u street even like the way it's gentrified that was places that like uh like white people would not go live right like period exactly like when i moved to i moved, when i moved here 10 years ago i moved to southeast right by congressional cemetery and people yeah. were like you, you what what are you right. doing i like what what's what's going on like it's great but it's like people still at that and now i don't know what now it's going crazy back there yeah like people are building like million dollar homes no they they literally just have their first million dollar home in congress heights yeah Ah. really yes there's a million dollar home that's on the market for a million dollars in congress heights but yeah that's amazing what we're doing to to get to the track though I, i think a lot of this though you have to remember was being created here yeah and it was out of that uh you know, it wasn't called Chocolate City for nothing. No. It was like you said, there was poor, there was mental off, but it was it, it was a community. Black. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was black and it was a community. Right. And uh like you couldn't have that in the South. Yeah. Like where I was from. And um yeah, so I wanted to talk about Washington DC. It's from this album that Gil Scott Heron released in nineteen eighty two called Moving Target. The name of the album is Moving mm-hmm. Target. It features Gil Scott Heron running through the hood. With a target next to him, mm-hmm. as if he could be shot. Mm-hmm. This is in 1982. This is long before Crack Era DC. This is long before we're the murder capital of. This is literally ten years before the murder capital of you know the United States. And there's still this sense of being a moving target, and feeling like Reagan and Reaganomics and conservative era politics are so pervasive in your life mm-hmm. that they that you feel like you could be at some point wiped off the planet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and funny for the recording artists in the room, just a little side note, but still related. Um, Gil recorded large parts of this album at Bias Studios. What? Which is, Get yeah. out of here. We yeah. That's where we the mastered songs? these songs. Yeah. Okay. Bias. Cool. So, History. the vibe. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, yeah. my gosh. That's so, so crazy. So, again, even in 1982, he couldn't get quality Vibes. recording services done for right. top tier recordings in Washington DC. Just just a little sidebar. Just to make sure people are aware of mm-hmm. what we're talking about here. 
Um, and this is, you know, a point that folks need to step it up because, you know, y'all are missing out. But, um, <laughs> but this is, and his band is fantastic and they're all basically locals, which is a thing to think about as well. So you have all of these jazz heads just like living about the streets of D.C. And they all get together and they all go out and they make, the, you know, they make these tracks. And also he goes on a global tour and he records part of this in London as well. Gets mastered, mixed and mastered Sigma Sound. Like, you know, he sends it out, you know, to the coast. And uh, it's this song in particular. It's place located to Washington, D.C. on purpose. It's 1982 in D.C. So this is Barry's first term. Mm -hmm. This is a time where things are starting to become ascendant for people, for black people. But still, you're in this overarching, like, area in time where Ronald Reagan is president. So, like, the guy who represents, like, people who are literally... 28% of the population runs the whole thing. Macro level. Micro level, you have this mayor that's literally pulling everybody together and creating this like cool like unit of folks to do larger things. Like he's getting blue collar people into white collar jobs. Like to say that again, he's taking blue collar people mm -hmm. and putting them in white collar jobs because they all have degrees. Like, that's the thing. This is the first generation of, like, black folk who went to college. They came, they come out of college. They can't get a job in Washington, D.C., like, working in an office until Barry comes along and is like, okay, I'm going to open up the D.C. government and everybody's getting a job. That's just happening. How do we have the money for it? Well, I'm going to make the money for it. We're going to, like, you know, create these civic programs and we're going to make money. And everybody gets a job. And it's, it's just fascinating to think about. So when you listen to this song, think about how, like, there's this dichotomy happening and you don't know what's going to happen next. Because mm -hmm. Ronald Reagan is the president. And people literally believe in Washington, D.C. This is why the entire punk scene exists. That Ronald Reagan was going to wipe everybody out. Yep. Mm. Like he was <laughs> going to so he was going to so anger the Soviet Union. And he was going to so anger everybody else in the world. That at some point we were just going to wake up and like, you know, a bomb was going to be dropped on 14th. Yep. So Washington, D.C. Symbols of democracy pinned up against the coast. Our house of bureaucracy surrounded by a moat. Citizens of poverty are barely out of sight. The overlords escape near evening, the people on the night. Morning brings the tourists, staining eyes and rubber necks. Perhaps a glimpse of the cowboy making the world a nervous wreck. It's a mass of irony for all the world to see. Capital is Washington, D.C. It's the nation's capital. It's the nation's capital. It's the nation's capital. It's Washington, D.C. May not have the glitter on the glamour of L.A. Have the history or the intrigue of Bombay. But when it comes to making music and showing up making news, people who just don't make sense and people making do. Seems all the contradictions pulling different ways between the folks who come and go and the ones who got to stay. It's a mass of irony for all the world to see. It's 
Madison's capital is Washington, D.C. Seems to me it's been a lifetime, and upon 14th Street. Make me feel it's always the right time. Coming people showed up in loving me. It didn't make but one. Second to none. It's the nation's capital. Uh, Washington, see, I was saying, Marcus, I've heard a cover song of that, although the person was not from D.C. I don't know I mean, what the fuck that's about, track. but it's a funky yeah, track. And, and it's like, so one of my favorite albums of all time, we're not going to play a track from this because I think I've played it at least five, six times a year, uh, Father's Children. Oh, it's from here. And yes. they're an amazing band. And now they're actually up in somewhere in Maryland and you can you can contract them to write you a hit. They what? guarantee you the hit. You just have to give him the money. <laughs> Matt, Matt, Matt's looking at it like he's like, huh? No. Yeah. Okay. So again, I want I want everybody who and, listens to this to like understand. I don't mean to cut you off. Yeah. But like the sheer number of amazing players that were in DC Correct. in the early 1980s mm-hmm. is out of control. Take like notes, all of the all of the old jazz heads from the 70s. Well, because look at the, look at the dominant music back then. It right. was jazz and go go. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but everybody could play. Everybody and like think of it. All of everybody in EU, like mm-hmm. Jamal's dad and all of yeah. his like people. Experience unlimited, right? If you, if exactly. You want to get. Yeah, yeah, Jamal Gray. No, he he he. he reco- Blackfire Records. Yeah, yeah Blackfire Records. So they released the first Experience Unlimited recordings. Man. He posted about this on yeah. Facebook. Oh, did he? Yeah, yeah. So like, and so just yeah. Everybody, like, you could walk, you could walk through Shaw, which is funny. Think about walking through Shaw now. Mm-hmm. You could walk through Shaw and like at least 30% of the amazing African-American people you saw walking through Shaw were like world traveled, world renowned, legendary yeah. musicians. Yeah. Even if you go back to, I mean, it, it, this is a horrible person to represent it, but if you look at the Cosby show in the 80s. <laughs> yes. Like ha- yeah. Howard's, Howard's going to be a big thing in this conversation. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, he was from Howard, and it was always about like him and his music friends mm-hmm. in that show. If you remember, you know, it, so it, it wasn't just this is a this is a center uh, for black culture, for black excellence, and everything. It was it was a center for like music and jazz, and somehow that moved up from like New Orleans, got out of New York. It was because it was so cheap to live here, and I think mm-hmm. that's why it's because it's so cheap to to live here. Yeah, like isn't people. Yeah, it's isn't that something? Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy when people are like. DC can't be a music industry town. I go, I always tell people, I'm like, it, it, was. it was a music industry <laughs> yeah. town. But it was like, like home for like black thought leaders. Like when you think about like around the Harlem Renaissance right? era, yeah. like that's what like, that's where my fascination with this area comes from. Cause you know, I'm originally from Virginia beach, but I always learned about, you know, people like Langston Hughes or, yeah. you know, anybody from that time period, you have your Duke Ellington's or your Zora Neale Hurston's. Like, right. They used to live here. They walked these streets. Yeah, they right. walked down U Street. So, la- like, last last, last related here. point, I've, I've been having a lot of conversations about the Howard Theater recently. Yeah. Like, Ooh. just because I, I live a block away from it. Mm. Not that not that I'm place locating where I live, although I do it like at least 12 times a week. Um. It's amazing people just don't walk up to my door at this point. They should. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, you can, you can, I'll, I'll have scones now. <laughs> but, um, but in any event, I, I talk to people about the, when the Howard fell off. Because it fell off. Yeah. Un, 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 unequivocally. 
So there's this point where like everybody who used to play there, because you could just like go there on like a Tuesday and it would be like, okay, like, you know, like these, these three jazz artists are just going to play at the Howard. Mm -hmm. When everybody started touring, when everybody got famous and nobody was at home is when they couldn't fill the, the venue yeah. with other stuff. So it just would sit empty for long periods of time and wouldn't make any money. It's a beautiful venue too. Probably like the nicest looking venue. Yeah. And it's just, but it's just crazy to think that like, if that's like your home local venue and you're just never home Mm -hmm. and they can't like source anybody from anywhere else to play it because Mm -hmm. there's not like necessarily like the economic base at that point to like sustain opening this venue for like all the time. Mm -hmm. It's a crazy thing to think about. Well, and and now as we've seen, like it followed Bahamian Caverns closed. I mean, this is like recent history and stuff. Yep. When there's fewer places for people to play, like, yeah, the Howard is beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful things in the city. If you don't have four other places to play on the regular, like, you can't, you have to go out. Right. Mm -hmm. You have to leave the city. You have to play outside. If you're living in New York doing this stuff, you can find a place to play around your block for years. At 24 hours a day, too. 24 hours a day. (laughs) In D.C., the fact that the the train shuts down at a certain time limits what can happen right. in the city because there are a bunch of places or were a bunch of places on U Street that jazz artists could could perform from Howard Theater to Twin Jazz yeah right you know and uh just like there there are a lot of venues but they have to be over it at midnight yeah and now they're disappearing as well yeah so that and like, makes like union a union arts gone it. so like where do our friends play now you know what I'm saying like so where are you gonna go yeah yeah um, sticking with the jazz side of this, uh, Vivian, you wanted to talk about, uh, is it Braxton Cook? Yeah. Tell us all about him. So I don't know all that much about him, but he's an artist that's kind of younger. Um, he came out with some music last year, mm-hmm. um, and he's played with, I think now he's playing with, oh, I can't remember the name, um, but someone else, and he, he also played with another artist that I really like, Christian Scott. Yeah. Who, yes. Crazy yeah. <laughs> and he did a, a Tiny Desk concert at mm-hmm. NPR, and he also did a couple of interviews with them. He um, also just got featured by uh, Chris Richards in the Washington Post. Oh, so, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, okay. so I really like this song, um, and this is off of an, an EP, I think, that yeah. he has on Bandcamp. Oh, sweet. Um, yeah. Bandcamp is good. Yeah. And I, uh, how do you pronounce this? Anybody? I... Does this vibe speak? <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> oh, let's get a little... oh. Oh. Well, let's let you decide after you hear it. Here's uh, Braxton Cook's uh, whatever it is. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Five
face out there. He's red. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't make you, you mad, April? I am big man. <laughs> <laughs> big man. <laughs> People call that tail end of April. I know. Yeah, big man. I love Moses. Oh, Moses, yeah, we're back. She just uh, the basement's destroyed again, guys. And uh, <laughs> April fucks shit up. But um, no, uh, yeah, Braxton Cook, uh, that guy. First of all, it's smooth. Like smooth jazz just doesn't get its due in popular music, man. Because you to can be put all that on and just hang. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, yeah, it's good stuff. Um, I want to sort of split the difference, and we're bouncing around the time a little bit. I want to go back to around like 1992, right? Yeah. So uh, the 80s, we saw hip hop on the rise. The early 90s, we saw hip hop go crazy around the world. Uh, Marion Barry at this point is in jail. Yes, <laughs> he he's has been busted. In jail. Uh, so this is this is a very you different... got set up. Well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I you know I I, I love Mary Berry, but like <laughs> that, that's a bridge too far, sir. <laughs> but uh, but no. So uh, you know, I said Howard University was going to play a big part in this. Michael Ivy uh, was he grew up a little north of here in in Maryland, outside the city. Uh, like a lot of young black men went to Howard University, and uh, uh, like a lot of people who go there, found a lot of people are like really good musicians. Our friend Ab, yeah, and I went there. You know, it's just and they have a remarkable music program and stuff. And he sees all of this uh, hip hop and stuff coming up, and he sees all these melding stuff. You have to remember, this is I think this is right before like Arrested Development hit it big. Hmm. So all of a sudden, that's like safe hip hop for the airways. That's yeah. the Nirvana crew is listening to this and. And uh, Diggable Planets is out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tribe Called Quest is getting a little weirder. Mm-hmm. Uh, De La Soul definitely made the... Made the Balloon the, Mind the State um, round, yeah. So, so he makes this radical uh, choice to like sort of mix uh, all different kinds of stuff and pay attention to like the the uh, rock and roll. What was it called then? Alt-rock? Yes, were we out of college rock then? Oh, we are definitely in alt-rock at this point. So it's it like wasn't college. Yeah. It was alt-rock. It's alt-rock. Um, and, and we're going to talk about this whole album at a later point because it is one of my favorite albums. Uh, but I heard this because two of my roommates in college were from Leesburg. Okay. Right outside of DC. Right. So this wasn't really a big album. Uh, and nobody knew really who, who made it. They didn't know anything about it. It had its appeal to our, the Nirvana crowd. Cause it's, but it's so wildly inventive back in 92, I think, uh, to be doing this with hip hop, uh, and, it, that he's he's quit now. He's retired. He found God, like big God. So <laughs> so you can't you can't get you can't get this uh, on the interwebs pretty much anywhere. Uh, I don't even think you can get a CD. Eduardo has a CD. Uh, but at the end of the day, this came from DC. This came from listening to stuff going around. Uh, this came from living through Fugazi here and seeing the indie underground and stuff like that. But. Uh, gonna play 2000 BC from uh, Basehead. The album's played with toys and uh, get it. Just shooting breeze, sitting around with the guy. Having a laugh, reminiscing about times. Asking me about things I did in the past. I try my best and think real hard, but my mind's not all intact. So I try hard to go along with the flow. Some things I just don't know They say in the 
with this and I say hell no I was 2,000 playing sales ago 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 When girls come up to me that I just don't know Well at least I think I don't But I can never be quite sure Day to time and place And how it's all up in the face Talking stuff that's still with class and taste Then they ask why do you call They claim I said I love them all Then I try with from my mic Which no, I just can't trace the face They call me a dog and I say it's just so Two thousand cells Two thousand mil cells Two thousand mil cells Two thousand mil cells Calm down. <laughs> now, now you're happy. Man, yeah. Yeah. Uh, had you guys heard that? That song? No, I've never heard that song before. What do you think? It was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. I, I was just looked the band up. It's simple. Mm-hmm. It's it, You can definitely date it. Right, you can never be like, yeah, that's some early '90s shit. But, but I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. No, the thing I want to shout out real quick, especially for DC music, is that if you grew up or lived in DC in the early '90s and you were a black person, the video jukebox network was so yeah, intrinsic yeah. in that. So, like that guitar, straight off, straight off of Primus. Yeah, straight off of Primus. Yeah, the, cut, it is. the cuts are straight off of uh, Cypress Hill. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with with borrowing something and making it better. And that's what that does. Because it's like once you know... Because, okay, so this also gets to the point where we're making about off-mic about people who are school and or classically trained in instruments. Mm-hmm. So once you know the instrument and you know it backwards or forwards and you hear someone from a different genre or a different style of music that you're not used to playing something... And your ear is good enough. You can pick it right up. Mm-hmm. And then when you're trying to make something new with it, you can flip it. It doesn't take a lot. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing about that track that makes it work to me is all like for years later, I haven't heard that track in 
Seriously, Kevin, I haven't heard that in like 20 years. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm blew sure. My, blew my entire mind. I, I just picked this up again last year. And I, was <laughs> like, I was like, what? Because when uh, you okay. said you were playing bass head, I was like, he's not, he doesn't mean yeah. bass head, bass head. Yeah. And then I was like, oh God, it's bass head, bass head. That's the Christian rock bass head. So no, just blew my mind. What this actually reminds me of too is our friend Brandon Perry, uh, Khan. Yes, and and he hasn't executed on it yet. But like, if you talk to him, his big thing is like, why do I just have to like rap? Right. Mm -hmm. He's like, I fucking love Pearl Jam, (laughs) you know. And and he he's doing this stuff. So he has these amazing like hip hop songs. He has some R and B songs, but he just put out an album that's like weird indie, chill stuff. That's like. Like, what, why would you ever do that? And the reason is, is because he knows his career necessarily isn't, that's not the path he's on. He doesn't have to produce hits. He's just like, I'm going to keep creating as much as I want. And, mm-hmm. and eventually, you see it synthesized into this. Ivy put out one more album in this vein. Uh, this did really well, actually, hilariously, on 120 Minutes, if anybody 2000 remembers 2000 BC was like a staple yeah. for a while. Yeah, and Play With Toys, the song, the, the title track. So... Uh, and then, like I said, he made the switch, never looked back, and uh, it, got, it got a little weird. But uh, it, this is out there. Well, it's not out there, I should say. Uh, if you want to hear it, if you're listening to this, you're going to have to come hang out in the basement. Yeah, no, random aside, <laughs> I saw Tamar Kali last night Oh. And uh, in Georgetown. Speaking of like other acts that are similar, so like the Black Rock Coalition mm-hmm. is a thing at this point out of New York City. So you have like bands like this. You didn't have a lot of places you could play. Like even in D.C., you didn't have a lot of places you could play. So you went up to like New York. And there was like Living Color and Tamar Kali, Fishbone, yeah. these guys, they're all in the same, so think about it, they're all in the same like creative yeah. circle. They yeah. all know each other like in real life and they're all influencing each other. Mm-hmm. And it's like fascinating. So it's like you have their thing is different than like Fishbone's thing. Yeah. yeah. And Fishbone's thing is different than Living Color's yep. thing. Yeah. And like all of like, you know, it just, it's, and so like Black Rock Coalition, just shout out to those guys as always wow. for being so influential. Yeah. For sure. We're hoping to get Vernon down here uh, soon. So, Mr. Reed. Yes. I know you're listening. Come on down. Uh, I want to jump to a little go-go, but not your not your daddy's go-go here, Matt. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you pulled up a thing that, honestly, I we played a little bit before this, and I, uh, to my detriment, have never heard anything like that. So break it down. Like, what, what are what are we gonna hear? And, and tell me about it. So this next song is um, Tob mm-hmm. um, Go Go circa the 2006 to 2008 era. Uh, they're covering Electric Slide, which was really innovative on Tob's end because uh, around this time Go Go was like super aggressive, very angsty. A lot of the like Go-Go's had just been banned in D- in, in PG. Oh. Or, or the band maybe or had just like been lifted mm-hmm. but for a solid like year or so. Yeah. Go-Go's were, were shut down due to fights mm-hmm. and, you know, shootings and stuff like that. Um, so T.O.B. Uh, came out with a bunch of like really family friendly friendly like covers <laughs> they they did this song the electric slide they did um having the time of my life green day the dirty dancing song yeah i'm yeah. the time of my yeah, life. yeah 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 oh god it's the dirty dancing yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was amazing it was amazing they uh, uh what's it called that's my girlfriend i forget what r&b song it was and it was this a but the T.O.B.'s a, a a band with all guys too, which I thought was really really like, <laughs> funny. But um, 
in a time where 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 Gogo was like was so aggressive and and to people on the outside who who looked at uh, the Gogo uh, community as this very violent Volatile. and dangerous and volatile mm-hmm. bunch, um, at the base is just a bunch of kids who are amazing on their instruments and are really doing this as a form of catharsis. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I love this song. I'm a huge fan of like Gogo of that time because so much innovation came from it, including uh, the bounce beat and the slow bounce. And it's this era is just not really celebrated so much because it's also tied to uh, everything political that was happening around Gogo mm-hmm. of the time. So we kind of either talk about Chuck Brown or we talk about like the bands that you know like like Backyard and stuff, which yeah. are always staples. But we don't talk about the like. Well, there's Gogo's. a deeper tradition. Yeah. Like, just even now, like, somebody told me, like, uh, I work in Waldorf, and somebody was like, that's where the go-go's about popping off. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Like, like, yeah, like next some... to the Chick-fil-A? Like, is that's the only thing down there? There was a classic go, like, uh, the Thai seafood was one of, like, like the legendary Waldorf go-go's. And it, during the day, it was a Thai seafood restaurant. At right. nighttime, it was, like, the most live go-go. Yeah. Yeah, I used to fly out to Waldorf. Yeah, yeah we, every, we would travel all the way out to Waldorf just to go to that. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah. Okay, so for people who don't listen to this podcast, for people who live in DC, Waldorf could be <laughs> Vietnam. <laughs> like it's like okay, Waldorf. Waldorf literally people and Waldorf is literally like twenty five miles away. It's yeah. nowhere from really like DC, but people because DC hour, an so, hour and a half by plane, train, or automobile. Right, but 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 you D, gotta but, catch a flight. Right, but DC people are so tied to like okay, so like if you pull up a map of like the DC metro, like the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority map. Wow, that's it. That's it. That's that's as far as we're willing to go for anything. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. like the absolute edge. Vienna, Virginia. Virginia. So true. Yeah, Vienna, that's Virginia. Shady Grove. Far as shit already. Like Benning Road <laughs> or National Airport. Funny thing, we uh, were in, in New York and saw Backyard do uh, stump, uh, summer summer stage. summer stage. Summer stage. Yeah. We, we, we link. We it would go link. Yeah. And we thought it was so crazy because they were a little bit late, and we were just making jokes like. Man, it's like uh, <laughs> when once they got to like DC city limits, they're like, "Yo, are we really doing this? We're about to cross these lines." Right? Man, it's crazy. So, so Waldorf is like, if you extended the re- the the orange line like a thousand years <laughs> into the future, you would end up in Waldorf, Maryland. Yeah, Waldorf. Like, there's nothing. There's nothing out there, but but yeah. Oh, I, th- old... I thought you were gonna say Waldorf. There's nothing like it. <laughs> There's nothing like it. Really, also. nothing like it, man. There's, a, there's an ill mall. Yes, it was an ill mall. It was oh. not. A, it was never an ill mall. <laughs> yeah, like, no, he, he's using the term ill correctly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there was a mall. <laughs> it was oh, not ill. It was, yeah, but this is, yeah. Oh, no. So yeah, this is this is a TOB electric slap.
it, but we started some new shit with this. The cha-cha slide is still in effect, but we going off the electric slide. Now, such a quarter, paradise, 35, 640, Lynch Mob, everybody, man. 37, my nigga, man, man, we electric slide today. Come on, team! Come on, team! Selectric! I have questions. <laughs> um, Ask the way. I first of all, it's badass. But that reminds me of uh, you would hear like skank and funk and like fishbone and stuff coming up. Mm-hmm. That's what like we heard like when I was in college, and you didn't hear any of this. And so this being two thousand eight, like I wouldn't immediately place that as go go. But mm. then as soon as you lock in on that beat, you're like, oh. Yeah, it's, it's like, almost like they broke the rules of go-go around that time because before then it was the pocket beat, yeah. which they're still like they're like these bands still follow tradition. Every album started off with a pocket beat, yeah, you know, and then they went into this. But they like TCB created the bounce beat, and then mm-hmm. bands like ABM and All Stars and XIB slowed the bounce beat down, made the slow bounce, and at one point that was the only beat in go-go right or go-go for you know you know young kids in high school like me and that's all we really listened to so it was like really rebellious and and actually they're like there's so many like punk parallels to go-go of that time well it feels yeah it feels like it feels like completely spastic Mm -hmm. but in a good way like you like so you're not it's a live art form it's not I'm not gonna reach for that and put it on. Let me just chillax. Let me, let me put, on, put, on, put on the wax upstairs and then like, uh-huh. put that on. But it's it's a it's a very live art form, and that's really hard to capture. Maybe that's why that's only on YouTube. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there know? were there were like forums and stuff. I was a big mem- member of this uh, forum called GoGo Central. GoGo Matt. I was GoGo Matt. But okay, so before I, <laughs> before I uh, was a producer, I was I. Was I listened to only GoGo actually exclusively, and I had a MySpace music page, and I called myself GoGo Matt <laughs> because there were other like like uh, uh, GoGo gatekeepers like GoGo Frank and GoGo Mike, and they would have their tag in the middle in the beginning like GoGo Mike exclusive, <laughs> and I was like I want to do that I want to be that guy so I would um, like download the songs off of GoGo Central then re-upload them on, onto my MySpace uh-huh. under GoGo Matt. And I even made CDs uh, that would say, uh, uh, go, 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 Matt. And then like where I'm from, I'm from the suburbs. So I'm from like Fort Washington, Maryland. Yeah. And a big thing about go, go is uh, 
they would like celebrate where people where, where everyone's from when you're at the Goga, people would uh have t-shirts or they would put their cell on, on their cell phone where they're from so it's always been and i don't except for old like uh maybe like dance hall stuff it's always been more tied to, to the community than anything. Mm-hmm. So you could have a whole song just shouting out your neighborhood. The entire song. You, you, and that's you, all you're doing. Yeah, you, you do like a little segment of a of a cover that you're doing. Yeah. And then the rest of it, you're shouting out people's birthdays who are in the crowd. Right. You're and, doing, uh, yeah, uh, neighborhoods. Who, like whatever, whoever is in the crowd from certain neighborhoods, uh, they'll tell the lead mic and then they'll just shout it out. And it would just get them really happy. Do you think? Do you think knowing that, like, it's wild that any of this even made it to tape? Like, it would tape it off the PA. Yeah, I know. So the PA, like, the, because I mean, think about it, right? If you're a, if you're it's an DIY, if you're an, inter- <laughs> no, 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 because I know, like, I just had a conversation about this. If you're an enterprising PA runner, right? If you're yeah. running the PA for a go-go band, and you're enterprising, you're a smart guy, <laughs> and you see like a thousand people at this show, and you're the guy in the PA, and you can plug. A recorder into your PA, and then sell the tapes on Tuesday. Straight <laughs> off the PA, so you but, are going to but, sell the tapes on the PA. But, he, but, no he, but here's the thing: how that is like such a wild, like subversion of the music industry. Because you know, if you go over to the hippie side of things, like they allow taping and stuff, right? And mm-hmm. Grateful Dead were one of the people. Now all the jam bands, definitely. Uh, some Americana, Americana artists now, but uh, it's not. It's frowned upon to sell it. There's huge live archives of all these bands up here that have that, but it doesn't seem like it was or should have been frowned upon to sell it. It was just like, yeah, I fucking take this shit. What? (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's the idea, too, that none of these acts, until until Chuck Brown hits the the studio. Yeah. This this was never really stuff that was supposed to be recorded on wax. Mm -hmm. There was no... It it wasn't that... that's That's my point. There's, like, no belief that, like... Okay, well, we're gonna get signed by a recording like company to record this in real life, hmm. and then it's only until like Chuck really starts like breaking out, and you have people from Washington. And this is the thing: you have people from Washington D.C. who go to colleges in other places, yeah, who move to other places, and they're like, "Have you heard of this guy Chuck Brown? <laughs> he's like the best artist ever." And they play the tape, and it's like, "Oh, he's the best guy." Hey, like I like this. Can we play it on a radio station? And yeah. then it becomes a thing, and then mm. it's like, okay, now we can now we can sell it and commodify it. Yeah. My my other question is, how does this not take over the world? I don't know. I think for a part of it is that we're very protective over GoGo. I remember being informed at, on GoGo Central, and people were really debating whether they want GoGo to go yeah. national or not. Um, also, I think that uh, I I feel like it's so different than like popular music and the sound is is so like live oriented and based on a feeling mm-hmm. in that moment that it's tough to commodify you can't just start selling uh tob's live you yeah. know recording of that where they're stopping in the middle of the song to break up a fight and get the song <laughs> yeah. and start the song again you can't that works on one album <laughs> right right that's so. one album i mean but if that happens on the next album it's like Hey man, what's going on here? Exactly. So, you know, I feel like GoGo has, in a way, remained really pure in that people aren't really trying to, you know, make millions of dollars off of this. You know, TCB's not expecting to be no, a millionaire no. artist, but they're doing this because it's so, like, 
you know, deep in the culture, it has to continue on. It's very traditional. It's traditional. It's, yeah, it's traditional. And as it as it gets pushed to the outskirts of D.C., though, do you think it remains like a, a D.C. indigenous music, or is it now just something else? It's the thing is with DC's like creative scene like now now being like like pushed out and just black people in DC being pushed out in yeah, general. Yeah. Uh, Go Go is not as uh, prominent as it was. Like, well, sure, sure, it's, 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 it's not prominent, but I guess what I'm what I'm saying is it doesn't it almost doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. We all know Backyard Band. Yeah. Uh, there's a few others that people know. Uh, they're, who's the ones that play with Dave Grohl all the fucking time? Is that Backyard Band? Oh, yeah. Oh, we saw that video, too. I can't You're talking about Red, Gold, Green? No. Well, <laughs> they, yeah, they yeah. play with Dave Grohl. There's yeah, a video yeah. of Dave They're not a go-go band. No. Dancing to a bounce beat. I don't remember who. Oh, well. I think it's part of uh, members of Backyard Band, maybe. But oh. uh, I don't know. Well, you I got Rare Essence out there. Yeah, Rare Rare Essence. Uh, backyard. Those are these are all like bands that like kind of transcend junkyard mm-hmm. and yeah. stuff like that. But I also feel like since um, the rap scene has begun to flourish, a lot of go go uh, people who would have been in go go bands back in the day mm-hmm. are instead trying their hand at rap. Mm-hmm. And some of the uh, figures in go go have become rappers. Like Young Gleesh used to be oh. Tom's on Tob and. So- so Wale is the best go-go lead talker that we ever had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, like for real. Like, okay, that's the that's the okay. So all of Wale's best songs. I I I got it. Feels good to say this one, Mike. <laughs> it's all of Wale's best songs are go-go songs. Real talk. Because he's the best go-go lead talker ever. Wale talking shit is <laughs> a level of great that like people don't understand. Like putting Wale in like a three minute song and have making sure that all of his words rhyme. With Miguel, and... <laughs> right? <laughs> but, no, but you need all of this stuff around Wale for the song to work. Because yeah. the best Wale is like I'm a I'm a say a say a poem, <laughs> and then I'm gonna maybe spit some bars, and then I'm gonna talk some shit about my shoes. Most well, likely I'm, phone posits. Right. I'm gonna talk phone about my, I'm talking about phone posits. Then I'm going to bring my mans in them on stage. And then I'm going to say a couple more words. And then they may not rhyme. I don't know. But it'll be tight. <laughs> and those are the best Wale songs to me. Like, when you put too much structure around him, it waters down all the stuff that makes him great. Because he's mm-hmm. a great, to me, he's like possibly one of the best Go-Go lead talkers we've ever had. I mm-hmm. feel like that, when Wale first popped, that was probably the closest Go-Go has been on, you know, to a national platform since doing the butt. Probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then we talk about structure and like just knowing because I'm relatively new to the area. So I'm still learning about the history of Go-Go and the history that is tied to Go-Go and to DC. And so like my my perspective is colored greatly by what's happening now and what I'm learning from my friends and from the people who have welcomed me into this culture and this atmosphere. And like I'm noticing that like, you know, as times are changing and things are becoming less and less of a like a structured thing, like yeah. music is now becoming genreless and we're mixing things. So like the new kids yeah. are applying their go-go sensibilities to more abstract things. And so like 
to answer your question about like why it isn't popping, I feel like, you know, over the years, like Matt answered why probably it didn't become like nationally known during that time period where it was, you know, where that he lived through. But like now you have people who like kind of like apply those things uh, in an abstract way and those things still are transcending and I, and like I, if you listen to gogo to yeah. um gold links album yeah that has the gogo sensibilities or you listen to tony kill full, full disclosure you're on gold stuff. links album so huh? oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. But like that, that like we would stay up to the middle of the night and like play on bongos and like joking stuff but yeah. like all that stuff still lives through that it's just applied in the it abstract lives, way well, yeah. it lives in the cadences of of dc rappers and yes, trap the rappers. way yeah, they yeah, rap yeah. The, their the, and, their attitudes and in that i think all that, that it was already a unique thing i think that makes it a little more unique because you know we know what we know what jazz is you can mm-hmm. point to jazz mm-hmm. you can point to blues you can point to like hip-hop the beginnings of the stuff but this is something that's like in the dna just underneath it all that's starting to drive it, and mm-hmm. as it pops up more and more, uh, I, I guess people aren't necessarily being compelled to. I'm the I'm a straight go go band. Fuck mm-hmm. everything else, you know. Mm-hmm. I was just like doing the doing the thing, and that's that's kind of wild. Yeah, it is. I don't is there's not. I don't think that go go will have like a revival in the way that you know we hope. Right. We would like to see it, but I, pieces of the legacy. Yeah. At this point, which is still valuable because mm-hmm. it's kind of like. For example, like our friend Tony Kill, like he'll make a remix. Oh, he's doing go go edits. He's doing go go edits. That is like a new thing. That's like that. (laughs) That's that's like a new thing. That's actually tight. (laughs) Like he'll take a song that everyone knows, which is essentially what go go was during like the 06. What what time period were you saying? Like my high school. Your high school time. Like this song song we played was 08. So, right, right. Really, so during that time, you would you would make a go go edit of a very popular song or a song that everybody knows. Like we're still doing that, mm-hmm. you know. But it's like it's just done in a more abstract way. And it's not only, it's not because go go will never make it, but it's just literally like it's just a reflection of the time period we're living in. Yeah. And how like you know the new kids now like to take elements from all things. Their entire yeah. life experience goes into it, and it kind of like creates this genreless but very go go informed type of music yeah mr dallin you have one more song then i'm gonna play one more yes song. i do yes i do all right i'm excited about this <laughs> all right so we're talking about gogo almost making it the best time to talk about when gogo almost made it is <laughs> the early 1990s um there was it was a, it was a perfect storm so def jam records had signed junkyard band for the word and for sardines and that blew up and rick rubin was sampling go-go artists on everybody's song mm. the drum the drums from trouble funk the drums from essence the drums from like uh, the drums from the drums from from junkyard all of those bands were on everybody's records like literally you you could call up the the drummers from the entire drum line from like junk and get them up to new york and you just do a bunch of songs and they were the drummers and they were like, you know, not credited. And that became a problem later on with um, Drop the Bomb by uh, Trouble Funk being, you know, like a song that was sampled considerably by the Beastie Boys. And mm-hmm. Beastie Boys ended up having to like, you know, go to court with Trouble Funk over the rights to that. So that had happened. And Rick Rubin and Russell Simmons split ways and Go-Go kind of leaves out of the Def Jam story. But Herbie Lovebug, 
who gave us Kid and Play and Salt and Pepper, he was a huge fan of Go-Go. Was always into Go-Go. Was all, like, came down to DC all the time, loved every Go-Go band, loved like the music, and sampled Go-Go heavily for the, the first records for both Kid and Play and for Salt and Pepper. And oh, both of those groups blow up. So there's now a community for Go-Go in pop music mm-hmm. where everybody knows that like, okay, the DC drums, the DC vibe cranks. We know. Cool. So like Lockett gets signed to Uptown Records. So like Andre Harrell and Diddy. Diddy, remember, didn't even graduate Howard because he was so busy promoting parties in DC. Mm. So he's aware. He knows because he knows every go-go band too because he's a, he's a when you understand when you de- when you okay so people from DC who are older understand Diddy as just a party promoter. Hmm. At the end of the day, what? he's not Puff Daddy, the great artor of yeah. rap music. He's love now. Yeah, right. He's <laughs> love, but he he's just that dude from Howard that threw the party at the Ibex. Yeah. Diddy, whatever. But he's still just Sean the Promoter. So Sean the Promoter knows every Go-Go band. All of them. So Go-Go's like in the room. So this gives Go-Go a lot of money and access. So if you had a street record in D.C., it could go to New York. It could go all the way down to Florida through the entire black college food chain from D.C. all the way down to FAMU. And then like extend out further into the Midwest with, you know, record with, with, with stations that were willing to play Go-Go records. So Gogo has like a thing. So we get to this guy, DJ Flex. DJ Flex, who is a lead talker. One of the all-time great Gogo lead talkers. <laughs> he did stuff with Backyard. He did stuff with Junk. He did stuff with Essence. He was just a guy who liked talking on Gogo songs. <laughs> and God bless him. There's a lot of them. And he's one of the best. He has a really great way of just like knowing what to say. And the thing with Flex is that Flex at a time fancied himself a rapper. Because he was like, I'm going to be the go-go rapper. So it was like him and DJ Cool. They're going to be the go-go rappers. So they start putting out these songs where they take samples from popular rap songs and put them over go-go drums. Wow. So that then you get this cool co-mingling that turns into something that Ideally, then, when you try to make these into records that could be sold nationwide, we'll push. Because it's like, okay, we know the sample. So one of the most popular songs in D.C. of 1992, maybe popular nowhere else in the world. But you know how songs are just cool in D.C.? You, you'll learn this as you spend more time here. <laughs> I'm pointing at Vivian to make sure that she's aware. <laughs> but like, so you guys know, there's just songs that are just cool in D.C. and like literally nowhere else. Mm-hmm. Like, 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 like how, like... Like how Cameron was a, a guy that everybody loved in D.C., but no, nowhere else initially. Mm. Like, these are like little things. So, Willie D. did a version of Betty Wright's Pickup, pickup Woman called the, called the Cleanup Man. And he, like, put it out on Rap-A-Lot Records around 92. And it was, like, a big song in the box. So, like, you could play, like, the, the Betty Wright Cleanup Woman sample, and people would just be like, yeah, that's hot. So you take that sample and you put it over like a really tight go-go rhythm section. And you get the song that you're about to hear.
That that is every go-go song ever. No, really, that's why I wanted to choose it because there's like every piece of every go-go song that everybody loves is in one song. Well, like again, back to what we were saying about it being a live art form. Like that's fun to listen to down here. If we were like. Like, I ask him over, we're gonna listen to like 50 minutes of that. <laughs> He'd be wandering around, like, looking at our phones, like, hey, how's yeah. that? Oh, oh, shit, somebody added me on Twitter. This oh. Guy, <laughs> it, oh, oh, yeah, he just shouted out, like, everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's it's wild. Okay, so, like, DJ Cool does um, Let Me Clear My Throat mm-hmm. in 96, which is basically that song with just a different Sounds like, oh, break yeah. on it. It's wow. like the same thing. Well, so, like <laughs> yeah. that's that's the thing. Like mind blown. Yeah, there you go. Like yeah. there's there's things about yeah. GoGo that when you really think about it, you're like, wait, every because everybody's influenced by the same stuff. So like uh, again, to bring up the video jukebox network again mm-hmm. because it's important because BET existed, there was the box, and there was MTV. Very few black people were watching MTV and watching in DC. Most of us watching. BET or the Jukebox Network, which was a pay to watch video network that largely played underground artists that couldn't get videos anywhere else. Or the thriller. Yes. (laughs) And then they broke and then they broke artists as well. So like an artist like Fat Joe. Mm. Flojo was on the 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 box and was like number one on the box for like six months. And it's like, oh. oh, wow, okay, that's nuts. Like, this song is number one. It's not anywhere else in the world except for on this pay-to-play network yeah. <laughs> at, like, 12.30 in the morning. And then, like, every song by the two live crew is a number one hit on the box because the video for I Wanna Rock and Hey, We Want Some, you know, is on at 1 o'clock in the morning. Mm. And it was just a fascinating thing about the era. So, like, those songs... When you put them into go-go songs, you're taking a thing that, like, everybody in the crowd loves, like, floored. Like, every single person is like, yo, that's my favorite song. Because mm. I, I, I hear that, I see that video, like, 37 times a day. Mm. I hear that break a million times a day. So, and then you put the drums under it, it's game over. How does how this, uh, Vivian, you mentioned there being, like, music stuff to do outside. And I think that, that's mm-hmm. actually... Uh, in a lot of cities, yeah. Quite frankly, I mean, even in fucking Rockville, they get they get spin doctors at least four times a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, like, how is there a path to get this back in DC so that in yeah. the city limits, yeah, in the city we have just like on a Saturday afternoon, this is outdoor at a park. This is. I mean, I think that's the key. Is that it's just like it is. Just every Saturday afternoon or something. You, I mean, outdoor. Would you go to the park? Hell yeah. If that was happening? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I <laughs> think... We're talking about putting go-go's in parks? Yes. Or just... Or anywhere. Like, any kind anywhere. of venue. Cool. Yeah. Matt, Matt, Matt has a sad look at I mean... <laughs> I'm just listening. My guy. What comes to mind when I think of this is there's this... I can't remember what it's called, but it was just this, like, street concert, basically, in Oakland last year that I... Or two years ago in the summer mm-hmm. that I went to. Um, and it was like $10 or something. And they blocked off like a cross of streets. Yeah. And you literally could just like go in and go to all these, like there were three different stages. There was like dance, there was food, 
And it's just you have to coordinate it. Well, you see, you part. see it in places like you see it there. You see it if you go to, up to uh, Burlington, Vermont, mm-hmm. like on the weekends, they just uh, street pylons come up, the yeah, shut down. Yeah, uh, you have your bands in your restaurants and, and bars, but you also have people out playing. Mm-hmm. And it seems like something that would be in you know if people are really serious about preserving the culture of DC mm-hmm. and give and it, it, like, it doesn't have to be just go go. I mean, bring out yeah. bring out young hip hop artists. Miles yeah. couldn't be here. He's, he's but he's a seventeen year old uh, who uh, lives, I think, in Fort Washington actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he uh, he's doing this. And as far as I know, he doesn't really have a place to play. Mm-hmm. But if yeah. if this, this thing is going on, that he can just get out and be in front of people and play that, like people yeah. will start to see more what mm-hmm. the city is about, rather than necessarily the it's- whole transient. Yeah, nature of it. I'll, I'll say this about GoGo. Thing about GoGo that made it cool was like, okay, so you so you go to high school with mm-hmm. like five dudes, and you see them every day. You see them in math class. You see them in social studies. On Friday night, those five guys that you see in class are headlining at exactly the random club that should not allow any teenagers in, <laughs> but somehow are letting in teenagers. To see the five guys yeah. who were in math class. Yeah. Because they have a band. And it's the, the aspiration of that. So, <clears throat> and that's the problem with DC right now. So, like, if you think about it, like, if you extrapolate it to, like, DC right now. Like, this is this is the equivalent of, like, that random DIY startup person mm-hmm. and the, the brewer and mm. the, the, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker that live on your block, mm. getting together mm. and having a band, and they play in my basement. Mm. It's, which is, which is but, literally not the same vibe. Yeah, and, but, and that's actually sort of my point. Like, we right. understand why that would result in something very bad. Because, <laughs> but, I mean, that's, yes. that's the whole point of gentrification. Right, but and, that's what and, I mean. And, that's the problem. And, and I right. think it puts a responsibility on people to actually bring it back into the city and yeah. not abandon it. Yeah. And not leave it to the fringes. Not, because as healthy as it is there, if it keeps getting pushed out, I mean, I think, I don't know if, Matt, you would agree with me or anybody would agree or disagree, like, it will just disappear, and it is great that it is being yeah. worked into the DNA of this stuff. But we want to look twenty years from now, and somebody says "go go," and they're like, "What's that?" Mm-hmm. I mean, I think like the the thing that sticks out to me about what you were saying is that, like, in at least what I'm used to is seeing like in restaurants and like every mm-hmm. every circumstance, there's always like a spot for a band and like a spot for someone mm-hmm. to like entertain while people are doing what they're going there for. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like. Well, I mean, maybe they're even going there for the music. Like, it's just, like, a part of everything, yeah. so, which I don't see here. So, random point to you guys and to you as well, if you ever want to get involved in this. All those restaurants that open in the city, they're all zoned for live performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I have no, but it's a very thing. No, mixed but I'm feelings just, I'm just about yeah, yeah. doing stuff like that. It's with, a frustrating thing. It have, mm. It's just, like, the thing about Go-Go is that it's uh, more, the Go-Go is a, is a culture. Uh, so it goes beyond the music itself. Correct. Yeah. So to bring go-go into parks without mm-hmm. addressing the fact that uh, the people in these bands and their families are being pushed out of D.C. Right. regardless. By the people. Right, 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 right. It's like exploitation. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it, 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 would, it would kind of uh, the opportunity. Like yeah, the opportunity thing. is there for right. exploitation, but I think it's also an opportunity for education. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there's... So, there and, is... and, and look, that, that's... I, I, I 1,000% mm-hmm. agree with you. That's a really hard 
line to ride. It's the it's very easily by doing that you can very easily turn Gogo into a novelty, right? Mm-hmm. So and something it, that the people who have the people who are entrenched in that culture and they're all black people in DC, yeah. like there it should never be the onus. And I say this all the time, but it, it should never be the onus on us to have to teach. Yeah. People who don't know anything, who just move here with no historical context whatsoever. Right, right. Context. Teach them anything. It's almost mm-hmm. like, it's like, to do that would to, would be to, like, bastardize that culture. And so it's like, you have to be very careful about how you would try to revive something. It probably, it actually couldn't even come from the outside. The revival lays in the hands of the people who... Right. Like it's for me to even try to do that. I'm, I'm not from here, so I I could not lead that. I think you that would that would just be like one piece of of like like bring you know of fixing like the issue yeah, yeah. like bring like go go back into the city. But it's also the responsibility of the city and local government to uh you know stop some of stop the developing. And uh, that's going on is pushing a lot of these folks real, out. Yeah, right. real talk. You know, Go Go is being Go Go music is was banned. Didn't uh, did, yeah. They they they, they banned Go Go music uh, like on U Street, like as of like what, like last year or something. Yeah. Like that. Why? Yeah. Like so. Like, like good job. Like wow. Yeah. So you all was doing Go Go concerts. Yeah. And they had to jump through hoops and dive and dive under barriers to mm. get that happening. So and they have a up. they have a they have a they have a series every six weeks. Google at U-Haul. The next one is, I think, in a couple mm-hmm. weeks here. They have uh, Backyard. They have EU. And then they're coming back with Essence. Then they have Back mm. at U-Haul, mm-hmm. which, is, which is fascinating on 100 different levels. But I'm, I'm glad to see that it's happening. But, and, and this is my, my thinking about Gogo in the city. Okay, so like in, when I was a kid, the number one Gogo fan in the city was the mayor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, for real. Yeah. So like when the person who sets the policy... Is is the person who's the biggest fan of the music? It's like, yeah, okay. Well, we, we don't have anything to worry about. Mm-hmm. And now, I'm not saying that Muriel Bowser or anybody in the, in her administration is not a fan of GoGo. I'm sure they are. Actually, I know they are. But uh, but I think it's a thing of just like expressing to them that antiquated rules are antiquated, <laughs> and that none of the people <laughs> that you would be worried about bringing guns, knives, and or shotguns into you know a GoGo. Mm-hmm aren't necessarily going to do that. And if they were, they're, they're 45 now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they're, they're, they're not going to. That's funny. Yeah. Like, that's they're funny. not going to. They're 45. So that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's, it's a... Uh, I, th- I think there's a lot of work to do. I'd like to see it. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, to your point, April, I... I 100% agree with you, mm-hmm. but at the same time, everything needs advocates. Mm-hmm. And so it's less like grabbing somebody by hand and like walking them to it. It's mm-hmm. just saying, hey, like this, like every things don't generally happen or 100% organically. Mm-hmm. And so there has to be some sort of pathway. And then you get out of the way. That mm-hmm. That's the key. Mm-hmm. It's like if you start to guide it there and then you see, okay, it's it's moving, then just get the fuck out of the way. Mm-hmm. Then let it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, you know, as somebody who's lived here for 10 years, that's this is that's the music I want to see. Mm-hmm. 
I don't give a fuck about all this other bullshit going on. Like, mm-hmm. I want to see, I want to see the music of this city, not right. music I can see in fucking New York, Portland, Chicago, wherever. Like, I, I want to see like what people here create mm-hmm. who are here. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause we know what transients create. Right. Right. They think, bring, they bring yeah. them from their scene. And, and look, that you stuff know. gets left behind. <laughs> I mean, right? I think for like, for a music scene of a certain place, like, whatever no it doesn't matter like where it is it just has to come from the people that create that music like like you have to create the venue and everything yeah yeah too, there has to which be is really hard but yeah and like they're still playing places like i don't want to like talk as if like they're not here like there you can still see yes go go yeah. bands it's just yeah it's a matter of um Who's going to allow them to come play inside of their venue? Yeah. Like, can you play a place like Black Cat without them being, you know, weird about you being there and your presence there? Because that's a, that is a thing that we have to address. And like, I'm not even going to be afraid to address it right now. Like, these venues need to respect people who are, who are local musicians and who are like local legends. Respect them and let them play inside your places. There's, this is the sound of DC. There's a lot of other sounds of DC. Let them express themselves yep. inside those spaces like if you can go to la and hear the sound of la then yeah. i should be able to do that in dc and yeah. we said that at the the very first podcast we did this year we actually put it expressly on right now imp mm-hmm. and 930 club and venues like mm. that and because of where they are located mm-hmm. strictly like it would not kill them once a month to have a jazz night once mm-hmm. a month to have a go-go night once mm-hmm. a month to have it like strictly to showcase what you're saying mm-hmm. about this like let them in the room. Mm-hmm. It's actually their responsibility, I think, at this mm-hmm. point. And mm-hmm. if you ignore that, then maybe yeah. people just stop going there. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so, okay. So I always look at this this conversation like this. Um, junk, um, junkyard band started as a band by playing on pots and pans mm. and playing on dirty instruments. You can't take the dirt out of the culture and expect the culture to remain. Mm. Sure. None of this stuff is dirty yet. Zero mm. percent of the stuff that's up right now is dirty. These are still clean floors. These are still clean people. They haven't lived here long enough. They haven't done enough stuff here. They haven't left an indelible mm. imprint on the city in a way that leaves a, a chip of paint and, you mm. know, a, a, a blood stain somewhere. Those are things that are important if you want to recontextualize and bring back this music and see what it's going to do. So, like, the hope, my, my hope, mm. is that if these people stay here for, like, three to five years, and we do the part mm. of fighting to remain on whatever level that is, then that's where the space exists to create this stuff. Mm. We're still so early in the conversation with all of this that it's painful to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Like it, it hurts me to talk about it because I look at people and I'm like, and I watch people and, and I, I can call it what it is. I watch people make mistakes mm. because they don't know any better because they just got here. And so when people just get to a place, they want to build some place to live, build some place to eat, build <laughs> some place to have fun. It's all they do. Yes. Yeah. Everything everybody does. They don't think yet about, wait, there were people who were here before us. <laughs> right. So what are we going to do with them? Until. Or leave them alone. Right. Know? Until. Interfere. No, right. Until. Get out of here. Something gets broken. Right. 
something gets dirty mm-hmm. and then it's not so cool anymore, but they can't go anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And that's the point that we're looking at, that I'm waiting for. And, you know, with the entire wharf being brand spanking new and all of 14th Street still glistening in the night and, you know, all of that, like, it's it's frustrating. You're just like, come on now. You know, like, I love Half Smoke to Death, but it's still like, there's no grease on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. Like, it's not, it's a greasy spoon, but there is no grease. <laughs> I'm like, come on now. Like, the only thing that's greasy on 14th Street is Ben Chili Bowl. Yeah. And even there, it's 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 hard for them because they're still leaning it up. It's frustrating. So that's the point that I'm waiting for. And then when that point exists, that's when people will go, oh, wait, we need this stuff. We need our culture. We need a culture to represent this, this place where we are living. Because mm-hmm. people don't have a need for culture right now because they're having too much fun eating. They're having too much fun drinking. They're having too much fun going to Decades Nightclub, 1219, Connecticut, Northwest, Washington, D.C. People love like Blade Runner because they're like, it's the future. And so they really, they, what they should have been was horrified because it's the future and there's no fucking like, place to lock in. It's like yeah. everything is happening all at once and, and it's horrifying. It's really frustrating. Like, I want to, and when, when I, I'm waiting for the first thing to break. No. Like, I'm really waiting because I don't know what it's going to be. I mean, like, in my mind, there's some enterprising kid that's going to throw a brick. It's going to throw a brick through the, 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 the window of, like, the the oyster yeah. warehouse on 14th. Oh, you're talking about the pearls? Yeah. Um, or somebody's going to break the yeah, window. Yeah. Or somebody's going to break the window of Ghibellina and, you know, spray paint the inside. And then there's going to be this moment and then everything's broken and then nobody can go anywhere <laughs> because everybody's house poor because they're spending too much money on rent and eating food all the mm. time yep. and then that's going to be like oh well we have to create a culture because now we're here mm-hmm. and then that's when they're going to turn and go 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 <laughs> it's from washington dc <laughs> or, that will blow me or that will blow this shit out of me so. or it, 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 it brings us to uh two people sitting down here which i think you guys are part of the future mm. you uh, are really uh, good at segues <laughs> Thanks. Part part of the future of this town, and and I hope just the music industry in general. Uh, You guys, how many EPs do you have? Two, two. Now you you, this this Friday, uh, you released two singles. We're gonna play one, and we're just gonna stare at you while this plays. Yeah, let's do it. So we're gonna come back from the break. This is how to get by by our guests April and Vista. Rope and frayed when you cut them too strong Comfort fades when you push for too long Darkness grows from the smallest of things From shifty white stairs to soft muted screen Spent a day with my head in a cloud Fell through the mist and I didn't slow down If I sit and wait for time to pass by The time that I spent Grand. I mentioned it once and I'll say it again If I sit and wait for time to pass by The time that I spent Good all to my life, good all to my life Oh, 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 oh. 
you're saying. No. All I gotta say is, guys, what the fuck? <laughs> you know. guys go away and you come back with that? Come on. <laughs> no. Like, I. How long? First of all, how long have you been working on on these tracks that you have now? Jeez. We've been sitting on this song and well, we've been sitting on this song for about a year exactly. Yeah, a year. I think we may have recorded last February. Last mm-hmm. February. Uh, on to we made uh, like in September. Yes. Last September or something like that. So, is yeah. it just been you guys in the studio or has it been you guys and like, who, who's helping out here? On that song? Because this isn't a bedroom recording, right? No. No. Oh, well, it's Halfway. mostly in the bedroom. Yeah. Okay. So, like, it's still there. It's a hybrid. Oh. Um, yeah. Like, well, Matt's, Matt will play bass at home. Yeah. Um, the drums we recorded in the, in the studio. Um, any of the programming happens. Yeah, the production is okay. at home. If we brought if we brought in a another instrumentalist, in we it'd be in the studio. Uh, we'd re- record April's vocals in the studio. Yeah. Right. What um, in working through this new material because I know this this sounds like your old stuff, but it also sounds a little more. Um, I hate using the word assured. <laughs> uh, it's like uh, then I can it's say so you're a songstress. It's the worst word, but it, it sounds uh, even uh, like your voice, April, <clears throat> and Matt dropping that panty dropping baseline. <laughs> like it's it sounds so fucking confident, yeah. and it's just like what the like <laughs> you don't you don't get That's that, so or, and and that. Uh, it is happening in some sectors of our city, but not a lot. Mm. And mm, when it happens, wow. so like I didn't, I didn't love the Gold League Cup. Mm. I okay. copped to that. But what I did like about it is that it, it certainly had, he was he was damn sure about yeah. what he was doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that you can feel that this I actually love, and it, and you guys sound fucking sure as shit. Like Thank this you. is what we're doing. <laughs> Thank um, you. Is it? I mean, what's the science, guys? Design. Teach everybody. Come on, <laughs> dude. Frustration. Um, <laughs> honestly, honestly, like we this time around, like with our last projects, um, the first one with lanterns, we kind of were like just feeling out uh, our chemistry, chemistry and yeah. like our workflow with each other, and we're trying to figure out like how we could work best together. Then note to self came around, and we were trying to figure out how to navigate balancing our personal lives and our personal uh um responsibilities uh with pursuing music and so we called it stress wave because we were so stressful <laughs> and saw, it, was a, you know, it was a very stress stressful wave. time and like we were just trying to like push it yeah. out and it was only four songs because we just literally was like i can't we were do tired. We anymore i'm so tired nine to five right it's hard it's hard to have like a nine to five career job mm-hmm. and then not sleep come home and then you have to work on music you have to finish something so we were trying to figure that out and then by this time i quit my job yep i had quit my job at some point <laughs> <laughs> like we were just like we were gunning for it yeah. and like this whole process was just us um uh just finally finding our voices finally finding what our sound's gonna be and that's why i'm it's crazy that you say that it does sound confident because at the time we were just like, this is it. This is who we are now. We've, yeah. we're, we're, we're still always going to be growing, but like we figured out what our sound, this is, this is, this is like the fledgling moments of our sound. And we're finally figuring out who we are as musicians. Yeah. So like, that's why it sounds so straightforward. And like, when you listen to the lyrics, they're talking about, you know, they're, they're about growth and moving forward. 
because like that's where we were and that's where we still are um in our musical journey and even even in like the production like matt you're you're a producer and you know people can be like if you if you have this little rolly block, <laughs> you can do so much shit, and you're like, I want to put it all in there. Even I mean, just in this and the other own two is the other single. Mm-hmm. Uh, it everything sounds deliberate, yet at the same time, I'm going to use a word that I said I hated up at the top. There's a vibe to it. <laughs> it sounds deli- it, it's del- it's deliberate, <laughs> but it is it is sort of like. It's not mechanical. Mm. Mm. You can, there, there's a heart to it. It feels alive. It feels human. Mm. And that's wow. when any of that actually works. Wow. And that's easy to do with your voice. Mm. Wow. That's harder to do like, with mm. what's underneath it. Yeah, mm. that was totally intentional. After uh, we put out Note to Self, April got this really fire keyboard, a uh, Korg SV1. Sponsor us. Korg. We're looking at you, but um, who, who are you looking at? Korg, Korg, K O R. Korg, the official keyboard of April Vista. <laughs> but I, I had gotten so many ideas messing with the uh, the uh, electric keyboard sound on there, and yeah. at that point, I wanted to uh, set our production apart from other electronic duos, and it's so easy to get into like the gear wars mm-hmm. uh, of production. You know what? Like the software using the specific plugins and um, the different hardware you have. So I wanted to step back and introduce more organic elements and also prove myself as uh, like a musician because yeah. producers are, we're all musicians. We're all, we all do a lot of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But some people don't understand exactly what you do. So I wanted to like kind of become an instrumentalist. Yeah, or uh, this time around, so I picked up the bass and played a little more keys. Did that change though? How you thought about like I, I'm just dipping into Ableton, so I'm coming out in reverse. Mm-hmm. I'm coming out from being a musician in this, and like I know for me right now, like I'm just like, what do you mean I have four bars? Fuck you! <laughs> like, I, I, I can't think in loops. Mm-hmm. I, I can't do it because mm. I need the I need the stretch. I yeah, need to, like not know where I'm gonna be sixteen bars later. Did. Picking up an instrument, though, changed the way you look at the sort of mechanical stuff? Uh, kind of. Not, no, not, not necessarily. Because uh, even though the projects before, like Note to Self and uh, Lanterns, mm-hmm. were like all electronic, I'm MIDI keyboard and yeah. stuff. But I listen, the, most of my music that I listen to is not electronic. I don't listen to like yeah. FX Twin and stuff all the time. I'm listening. I like a lot of like classical stuff and jazz, yeah. and so I I applied those sensibilities to the electronic stuff. And what I was really trying to do is make my electronic music sound not so electronic. Yeah. This time around, I had some of the equipment to actually step back, step back, and and and, and do that. So that's what we were going for this 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 time around. We kind of wanted to add more of a human element to our electronic stuff. Hey, I think you nailed it. Yes. Yay, what do you guys think? Yeah, I just wanted to ask you guys about the songwriting on this because it's like super literal. <laughs> I shed a yes. tear when April played this. Like, yes, that, that's how we. Yeah. I and and it's okay. So like, there's a thing with songwriting where so many people are trying to be like austere and mm-hmm. hidden mm-hmm. and use and 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 we've talked about this, Kevin. Mm-hmm. People use too many words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because it's like people pick up a dictionary and then they're like synonyms. Synonyms yes. exist. Uh-huh. I could describe my emotions. Looking at you, indie folk dudes. 
What's up? <laughs> yeah, be folk, yeah. yeah, they they need to go. But uh but no. So I wanted to ask about like, you know, for both mm. of you, like keeping it simple mm-hmm. and direct. Like, was that a conscious thing and how has that evolved? Mm, very conscious, very difficult. So like when I first because I'm technically like super new to to songwriting um i never really explored that element of my talents i guess like uh earlier on in my musical journey like when i was younger i only focused on instrumental music right so i'm just now learning about who i am as a songwriter and um at first like with our first two eps that was me i was i was that guy like i was like looking into sources like okay I'm trying to find this word. I can't think of it. What is this? Oh, this is a big one. This sounds good. Like, I just wanted to make it, like, as poetic as possible. And, like, you think that to be poetic, you have to be prolific with every line. Every line has to be, you know, super profound. And then working with my rapper friends changed me. And it showed me that, like, number one, I had to learn how to get, how to write fast and, you know, on on the spot, right. which means you don't have time to think about what's the most prolific thing. You have to, you get a subject, you know, you've got to write about it, then you have to flesh it out on the spot. So with this next, with this new um, project and, and these two songs, my challenge was how can I uh, be very direct with my, um, with my wordplay? How can I um, effectively uh, communicate what I'm trying to say, but try to make it you know, very simple and just let go, just like Matt was doing with the production. It was like me trying to learn how to let um, go like any like of my like past, like I don't want to say pretentious, but like me just thinking Mm. that it has to be so wordy in order to be beautiful. It can also be super simple and very literal and still be beautiful and complex at the same time. And and, and not only that, though, if you're doing it at that speed and and, and where you you don't have time to think about Mm -hmm. uh, how how deep it is, you also don't have time to put up barriers. Like mm-hmm. if you just say something that was like emotionally about you, mm-hmm. maybe you can go back later and do it. But generally, if you've done it and you put it out there, uh, it's across any art form. It's like, well, fuck, it's out there. <laughs> like, <laughs> I didn't want that to be, but now it's out there. Right. Like, <laughs> so, so April, I'm writing a I'm writing a country song right now for oh, <laughs> I, I'm doing, Let's I'm go. Doing music. You want to play bass? Ooh. Yeah, no, do it. Please do it. Please do it. So, okay. Oh, so, it's late. So, and and okay, and other things about me that people don't know, and I'll, I'll I'll cop to them. I went through a tough emotional romantic time in my life, mm-hmm. and I wrote an 11 track album in the space of three weeks. Wow. Because I was really depressed. Wow. So the, be- the best music comes from yeah. Yeah. Depression. So I wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you about writing sentences because mm-hmm. the one that got me on how to get by because i mm-hmm. tweeted it was yeah, if so. i could sit and wait for time to pass by that that time i could spend could alter my life yeah so like that's a sentence mm-hmm. which if i didn't read it without the syntax and the meter and everything right, right, it's right. just a sentence right so i want you to explain to people the power of writing a sentence Ooh. Man. And making it rhyme and doing it because I know wow. that, I know that's a thing. Yeah, it is. A that thing. as a songwriter, you like once you get that, mm-hmm. you understand the length of a sentence, mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, how much power can I put into something that's like that big? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because so it's a thing. When I, when I heard that, I was like, 
to say. A thing has happened. <laughs> it's like, I was like, I was like, wow. Well, well, well I, when I see April Day, I have to be like, girl. That's hilarious. Hell yeah, girl. Man, I literally never have like publicly explored that. Okay, so like, okay, there's two things. Um, the first thing is like, I remember I was watching like this uh, documentary. I can't remember what it is right now. Probably because I had too much cider. Um, Cider's delicious. It's so delicious. Um, but, uh, I think it was, shoot, it was like a rap documentary and, um, I can't remember who it was, but one of the rappers in the documentary was saying that when he writes his lines, he literally writes like four lines. Rakim. It was Rakim. Yes. He writes four lines and he tries to, uh, fit what he's trying to say within those marks that right. he puts on the page. Hmm. And then like I that was a made fiend me. since before I became a teen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. Bars. So like. <laughs> So when I saw that, I thought to myself, man, like, again, like I'm learning from like rappers and how to do wordplay and, and become like a master wordsmith. Like they are the master wordsmiths to me. Right. Yeah. And like, I think to myself, okay, so I'm trying to convey, like, for instance, that one sentence, I, what I do when I write my lyrics, I free write what I'm feeling. Right. And I free write paragraphs of what I'm trying to say, and then I'll try to condense them. Yeah. And like, I don't write four lines on the page, but that just made me try to explore how to condense what I'm trying to say and get it right. shrunken down into a line or two. Because sentences um, are crazy that it's, way. It's really crazy that way. And also, Matt um, taught me about how to use space and how to um, respect space and play with it. And it's like, you know, sometimes you feel like you have to fill everything up. Listen, listen. Okay, so a thing that helps me when I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Is listen to Lost Ones. Okay. By Lauren Hill. Wow. And listen to all of the space. Yeah. That she doesn't occupy. Yeah. With words. It's funny how money changes situation. Space. Space. Mm -hmm. And it's like a long space. Yeah. In the space of a song. It's like, that's a long, it's a long space before she gets into the next bar. It's like, mm -hmm. in that space, you have all this time to think. Mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. what she said exactly. so it's like yeah. I'll like yep. boom I hit you with this like really impactful sentence yep and then think there's this space it's it. like think about that shit right yeah that's the whole that was the whole point like right. trying to like with that sentence I there's like a space there yeah and like if you were to see it all written out you wouldn't realize it's that a sentence because if yeah. I had my book I would show you it's actually broken up because there's something with the reverb yeah. with him that's in that space <laughs> afterwards Mm. That like is dizzy because it's mm -hmm. like, okay, so like you get, you hit it and then there's something in the mm -hmm. reverb there that occupies that emptiness. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, okay. So it's not like empty, empty space, right. but mm. there's always something it's there. There's always some kind of like action right. in there for the contemplation. Well, right. I was, uh, I was like, that's okay. meant, that was, I'm happy you caught that because it was meant is that was me trying to figure out how to um, condense what I was trying to say and leave enough space for the listener to try to relate themselves. And I will say this, like, I remember one time we played, um, uh, was it Broccoli City? What was it called? Smile Festival. Mm. And yeah. our friend Tony Kill uh, came to the show. Shout out Tony, man. Like, he's Tony awesome. Tony Kill's getting mentioned in, like, every single interview he's, he is by a, everybody. He's awesome. He mm -hmm. is awesome. He's, like, literally, like, a a, the big brother I never had. He's mm -hmm. amazing. But he came to the show, as he always does, with his yellow NASA jacket. And <laughs> there was one point in the song, in the, in the, uh, and the performance, I think it was How to Get By, mm -hmm. where we a problem happened with my uh, quarter-inch cable, and I was getting no sound in my keyboard before the song, and so I was freaking out. We've, we later on fixed it swiftly and went on if, to finish the song, 
But Tony was like, in that moment, like no one knew that something was happening. They knew something was going on, but they didn't know what. But they were able to digest the song they just heard and think right. about it. And he said he felt that. Yeah. And like, it's moments like that that you want to capture in your music. You want people to be able to listen to your song, but also listen to what you're saying right. and relate. Like the energy in what you guys are making now is okay. So people connect to you guys because they feel like this is profound thing. Like people who are wow, April and Vista fans crazy. are not like people who are like, <laughs> yeah, <wild>. I just <laughs> like, okay. So like, and I'm not going to throw that's Kalani wild. under a bus. I'm not going to throw like certain artists under a bus, but I'm going to say that there are people that are fans of like Kalani mm -hmm. and like vibey R&B artists who do that thing. <laughs> And then there's people who like are fans of what you guys do. Mm. And there's like a space of profundity Ooh, nice. in the way <laughs> that the music is constructed in the way that it like resonates mm -hmm. that separates that. Mm -hmm. And that's where your lane exists over here. And that's her cool. lane exists over there. And what you did on those two songs, I could feel is that the energy is more the energy matches the level that people ascribe to the music, mm. which I feel is incredibly important. Because it's, it's like when you when you guys sent me the email with the song, because like yeah. you know, quite as kept I've heard these songs for a long. Time. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I was like, oh, so this is the this is the April and Vista song finally. <laughs> we had the April and April put out songs before and. They got, you know, you guys are cool and cool people, cool people in cool shoes like y'all's music. Hey. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, now I'm like, oh, so this is the the, the one where people are the two. Mm. Where people who are like, oh, so this is like deep, real, like music can listen and be like, oh, yeah, this is Lit. the deep, real <laughs> thing. And I was like, vibes. Yes, good. I was very happy with that. So I'm gonna ring a bell every time we. <laughs> so the energy, so the energy right? So the energy is different, and I feel that, and I'm glad that the energy is different because it matches Thank the you. expectation. So that's. Thank good. you. That's crazy. That's one thing we were scared of, like, because we were taking a different route. It is kind of. It still, you know, harkens back to what we were working on. Right. But like, we did want to take it in a different what level, especially with Own Two. That song came about so fast. Mm -hmm. Um, and we like, usually we like kind of like sit on songs and like mm -hmm. Matt will like sit on a beat or a baseline or whatever for a while and let it resonate and let it marinate. And own two came really fast. Like in a day we finished the joint. Yeah. So like, we were like, oh man, like we were really confident about the song, but then, you know, sometimes you think like, okay, um, it, it I hope people get fast. that. Yeah, right. Like, is this supposed to happen? Like, does this really happen? <laughs> yeah. People just make songs. Are we really like future right now? Like we really just made a song in a day? Like, so now yeah. You make seven. So yeah, I know, right? We're yeah. still behind. <laughs> That's for the next Slack. one. That's for the next one. <laughs> I, I, I think, yeah, I think with this, uh, it's a signal you guys are part of the tradition that we talked about all day today. Mm. Absolutely. And you should be super fucking proud of that. No, really, seriously. Uh, you have brought... Uh, that's crazy. Just even the reaction, like, the audience that have seen people universally, people who like all different kinds of music, see that, hear your stuff and see it, and they're like, whoa. Whatever you got. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's uh, it, it's it's working that's crazy that's pretty thank crazy. you so much yeah it's it's surreal yeah. to even like sit here with y'all and, and to talk about like our music because a, a big part of our process is uh we'll, we'll, we'll make a sketch and we'll spend days thinking about <laughs> yeah people <laughs> liking it 
and thinking about where it's going to be like, oh, man, it's, it's going to be awesome. And then finally, after like a week, we're like, all right, we should probably finish this. Right. So like to actually, to make the music and to see that people actually care about it. And, and it touched people. And, yeah, and see it, see it touch people is like super surreal. Yeah, it is. Because no, this is like really a dream. It's a it's a personal project because uh, like it it's so sure because in our lives we are you know, our third project we like we're finally finally putting our foot down like you know, we're gonna take this somewhere yeah so uh, I'm glad that you guys like kind of caught that even if it was like wasn't super intentional that it was to sound that uh, confident right you know it's, oh yeah man right yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah thank you guys for like. Letting us sit here and talk to y'all about this. Oh, stuff. Mm-hmm. Always. Yeah. Always. Always. I mean, you got to come back and put down some bass on the country song. I'm ready. No, really. It's like, going to be, it's gonna be amazing. I'm, I'm a quarter of the way through it. And it's. I mean, I have the. I have, <laughs> I have the hook already, but I'm not going to talk about that. Yeah, don't, don't worry Are about you it. trying to sing save, it? Save for another guy. No, but, I, no, but, no, but no. Kev, Kev knows. The hook. I, I, I do know the hook. Look, it's fire. I do know the hook. But thank you guys, Bars. Matt and April. Uh, Vivian, thank you for showing up again. Yeah. We didn't scare you off. Yeah. <laughs> nope. you have any, you want to take down Dowling? I'll be back. You want to take down Dowling? Marcus, you'll be back. And seriously, Matt and April, anytime you guys want to come by, I hope it wasn't just the salmon that got you. <laughs> no, it wasn't. But uh, you're more than welcome. Salmon's you know, delicious. anything you want to talk about, just come down here and, and we'll fucking chop it up. Thank you. So, Love and to. Uh, yeah, we'll be back next. Well, we'll be back in a few days. But uh, talking about DC music is going to be back next month. Nice. Not sure what we're going to be doing, but I think it might be. Uh, there's a lot of labels around town. So Ooh, I think I might yeah, get some of the label good. owners in here. Definitely. Sit down for the so thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Spent a day with my head in a cloud. Fell through the mist and I didn't slow down. If I sit and wait for time to pass by, the time that I spent good all to my life. The ugliest things come in packages, grand. I mentioned it once and Big thanks to April and Matt. Otherwise known as April and Vista. It's always a great time with them down here talking about music. Uh, seeing them grow as artists and as people. is uh, It's rad, folks. It's rad. That's what I'm saying. Uh, hopefully you dug their track. The uh, Own 2 we didn't play, but How to Get By we did. You can get both of those wherever fine music is sold. I recommend doing that. And keep an eye out for tour dates. Hopefully they'll be playing some live shows. That is one thing I regret about 2017 is I did not get out to see them live. They are one of my favorite groups here in D.C., and I I need to get out and see them live. So we're going to remedy that in 2018. I'll let you know when that's coming up. Uh, also, you know, hopefully you dug all the other music you heard here and, uh, and it maybe inspires you to dig a little deeper. A lot of times when we do these, it is... Uh, very much in in the vein of stuff that I haven't heard. This was no exception. And so uh, even though the water dance sounded familiar, uh, it, it, I hadn't heard it, and I'm, and I'm going to go go dig into that right after I get off this mic. Same thing with the electric slide. Um, it's just uh, it, music, like any art, can inform you about the culture, uh, where it came from, and it can uh, answer as many questions as it can ask, honestly. And uh, this is... Uh, We've got we've got a lot of great stuff going on here in the nation's capital. Uh, if you discount Trump, <laughs> we'll just. But uh, at any rate, uh, 
Yeah, dig deeper, kids. That's it. That is our podcast for this Monday. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us in iTunes. That's Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a rating or a message there. You can also always reach out to us at podcast at chunkyglasses.com. If you send an email there, uh, a couple of things can happen. You can say, hey, you're right about this, you're wrong about this, or hey, I just want to discuss this, and we will answer that, and it comes to me directly. You can do what uh, Vivian, who you just heard, did. Uh, hit that up and say, hey, I, I would like to do this. And then I think like two weeks later, she's down here in the basement talking to you. We've got her um, one more in the cans. You're going to be hearing a lot more from her. And uh, and uh, her giving Marcus Dallin shit is now my new favorite thing in the world. But you're going to have to wait to hear about that. Uh, so you can also listen to us on Google Play, Mixcloud, and Stitcher. You can listen to us on Spotify, too, which is kind of rad. Uh, so if you go back through an album review, you can pull up the album on Spotify, then just type in the name of the album, put Chunky Glasses behind it, and there we are. You never have to leave the app. Uh, that is thanks in part to our amazing podcast hoster, Pippa. Pippa.io is where you're going to go if you have a good idea and you want to get it out to the world. And I will stress, it has to be a good idea. We've got enough noise, kids. Just make it a good one. Uh, but you, as long as you've got that locked in, you go out there, you do it at a small fee. They'll host your podcast. They'll give you all these analytics you need to see uh, how you can get it other places. And, and it's just uh, it's amazing service. We've been with them for over a year now, and they have never dropped the ball once. They're just complete podcast hosting badasses. Uh, last but never, ever least, uh, Jamal Gray, Aquatic Gardeners, the music you hear floating underneath right now. You can find him always up at Uptown Art House. Uh, he's out there uh, doing the work for the culture here in D.C. And a large part. You can also find him in his bands Nog Champa, Reaganomics, and this right here, Aquatic Gardener. Uh, it's an EP that he put out. It's up in Bandcamp now. It's three songs made up a lot of found sounds. And uh, as you can hear, it is dope as fuck. Coming up. Coming up in the next few episodes. Uh, we're going to do our very first remote sort of webcam ish episode uh gonna talk to my friend pj sykes about the band super chunk it's gonna be a test of our friendship i think he loves them i don't necessarily love them and uh so we're gonna try that out see if we can get him doing some new stuff uh also gonna be having a conversation about art versus the artist and what that means is you know you hate how kanye acts and and he's kanye is an asshole but um, but then you love his music, and uh, and that struggle goes from everything from just personal behavior to actually people who commit heinous acts. Um, so we're going to be talking about that, and then uh, pretty soon, guys, Lucy Dacus, historian, going to have a good panel on that, and then it's going to be... And soon enough, it's going to be time for episode three of The Sounds of DC, so we'll see what's coming up then. Thank you guys for tuning in, as always. We'll be back in a few short days. Until then, be good to your ears, but be better to your people. We will see you soon. Kenobi! <laughs> 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 <laughs>